Uh, I found myself this morning in a little bit of a crisis. It actually started a couple days ago when my wife sent me to uh, the store to buy some creamer for our coffee. And I bought the exact creamer that we use constantly every day for our coffee, except I did not realize I bought the fat-free version of the creamer. And so I think it tastes just like the regular creamer. And so we're on our way to church this morning, and Jessie takes a sip of her coffee, and she's like, ugh, I can't do it. I can't drink it. And I said, you know what, baby? This is a great opportunity for you to practice some mental toughness. And she said, I've been working on my mental toughness for the past 20 years. And I thought to myself, in a couple months, we'll be married for 20 years. <laughs> so you got me on that one. So it went from her crisis to mine. But in all seriousness, that's not really a real crisis. We think, I think we're over that. I'm going to drink that creamer and buy her some new one. Yeah, right. But here is our psalm today as we study a summer of psalms, Psalm 46, and the opening question, question for us is, have you been through a crisis? And the answer across the room is what? If you haven't, you might even be in one now, but if you haven't, you're not, then you will at some point go through some trials and some troubles and some crisis in your life. We know that. And most of us, again, have been through some stuff like that. And Psalm 46, as many of these psalms are, just speaks right to a life in crisis. And of course, verse 10, if you'll look at Psalm 46.10, is a very well-known verse. That's a verse you'll see printed on things and quoted. And of course, it says, Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. But I want to make sure as we study it this morning that we know the, that verse in context and, of course, what the other verses say and mean as well. We sang a song a moment ago and, uh, called A Mighty Fortress. And um, it's an old hymn written by Martin Luther back in the Reformation. And it was based on Psalm 46 and uh, has great lyrics to it. And there's so many different arrangements musically, but the lyrics are great and a lot of people call Psalm 46 Luther's psalm. That's how much he loved it, he sang it, he used it in his life. Um, but today it's going to be our psalm. We're going to study it. We're going to try to see what God can, can help us with in that. And So the context of this psalm, and there's two things I would write down for context, and it is this. Nature rages and nations rage. We're going to see in verses 2 and 3 in a moment that uh, nature is raging, and we're going to see in the following verses uh, nations raging. So how do we handle a crisis based on that when nature's raging, when the nations are raging? And so I want to give you this kind of uh, point. If God shows us in Psalm 46 that he can handle the world's crisis, then we can be assured he can handle our crisis, right? If God shows us and by the way, he's shown us time and time again that he can handle the world's crisis, then he can definitely handle ours. So our sermon in a sentence is to, as we study this, we need to learn to replace fear with holy confidence in God. 
Replace fear with holy confidence in him. Um, I've told most of you, this, a lot of you this story, but back during state testing in school, um, I was administering a state test, and many of you who are teachers, educators, you know how serious those are, and you know only certain things can go in the room. I couldn't even take my coffee in there. We couldn't have drink in there. We couldn't have food. We couldn't have candy in there. Back when I was in school, we took tests. They gave us peppermints. Did they do that to y'all? But now we couldn't, we couldn't have peppermints, candy. And so we're in there. Of course, there's no electronic devices. I couldn't take my watch in. And it's a very serious thing, right? And um, half our class had finished the test. And I'm just kind of walking around the room. And it was, the, it was a while back when a couple of those Amber Alerts or whatever went off. And I hear a noise, an Amber Alert go off. And so I walk up to a student. I'm like, do you have a phone? And he reaches down into his blue jeans, down into his blue jeans, and pull, not his pocket, into the pants, and pulls out a phone. And I take it, and the other teacher, she is like in a tizzy. She's like, I can't believe it, you know. She goes, the, the principal comes in, and he's freaking out. He's like, oh, you know. And I'm like, here's his phone. And so they go out five minutes later, another Amber Alert. I hear it again in my classroom. Guess who had a second cell phone? The same kid. I walk over to him, he reaches down in his pants again, a second phone comes out. At this point, I kind of laugh. I'm like, are you serious right now? I take it. I give it to the teacher. She's in a huge tizzy. The principal comes up. He's going crazy. His head's turning red. And I look at the kid, and I say, you any more phones in there? <laughs> Anything else? And so we go throughout our day, and finally I'm in the office at the end of the day, and this one, the teacher that was in there who was kind of just so stressed about the situation, she came up to me, and she said, why are you so calm? about that. Why were you so calm? You know, we could lose our jobs. We could do this. We could do that. And I just said, to me, that's not that big of a deal. The stuff I've been through in my life, the stuff I've seen, to me, you know what? If, if they come in there and said, you're fired, I'll just dealt with it. <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever, you know. And so my point is this, can we learn to have a holy confidence in the sovereignty of God, in the uh, providential leading of God in our lives to where no matter what comes our way, something as minute as that or as serious as a health issue or a loss in our lives, can we learn to have a calmness and a holy confidence in our sovereign Lord? And I hope many of us have already learned that and will continue to learn it. So where do we turn in, where do we turn in times of trouble? Well, Psalm 46 is a great place. Let's look at it. If you're there, say word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth, he breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, as this psalm says, to be with us, even in his preaching. Be with me as I preach. Be with us as we listen. And may we all apply this, these truths to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. So where do we turn? Well, the very first word of this psalm shows us where to turn in times of crisis. And the very first word of this psalm is what? Our God. Then I went through and counted for you, and I counted 18 uses of either God or a pronoun to describe him. And so in these 11 verses, at least 18 times, the psalmist declares God, points to God um, as the one to go through in time of crisis. So I want to give you three truths to hold on to about our God in times of crisis. Number one, notice that he is strong. He is strong. How many of us, when something happens in life, the first thing we try to do is fix it ourselves? I, 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 would, I, think, I feel like the last several weeks in our discipleship group on Wednesday night, this topic comes up regularly. I feel like, I know it was this past week, about when something happens in life, I don't first go to God, I first try to fix it myself. When we all know that God is our refuge and our strength, He is the one who can fix it, He's the one who can fix everything. It's like when my, my kid's trying to open a, a jar, right? What do they do when they can't figure it out? Do they sit there all day and try to open it? No, they say, Dad, can you open this jar? All right, and, and that's, that's us. We're like, we just keep trying to open the jar instead of saying, Father, help me with the jar. Understanding that he is strong. And so looking at a few words here, I want to give you, I think, four words about this. The first one is the word refuge. God is our refuge. He is our shelter. He is our place to run. This is an, an outer protection, right? We think of this building, in a sense, can be a refuge uh, from, from outside, from the heat, right? When here in the cool air instead of the heat. And so refuge protects you from the elements. It is an outer power. The second word I notice here is he is our refuge and he is our, our strength. Now, I think strength here refers to not just that outer protection of God, but an inner strength. That God can protect us on the outside and on the inside. And so we know that through crisis, through trouble, through trial, we can keep moving forward knowing that God has us on the outside and on the inside. He is our defense and our offense. He protects us and moves us forward. He is strong. The third word, and this is my favorite of these four, is the word voice. Skip down to verse 6, where it says, The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, but he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. How powerful is God? According to verse 6, and I know this is poetic, some of these words are poetic, but his, how did God move the earth or melt the earth in verse 6? With his voice, right? Now we know the voice of God is powerful. Genesis 1-3, when God wanted to create the world, it says God said what? 
let there be light. So God created all things by the word of his power. Another verse that I'd like to point your attention to is Hebrews 1.3. Listen to what Hebrews 1.3 says about Christ. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now listen. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so not only did God create all things by his word, but that verse in Hebrews says, by the word of Christ, the universe is sustained, held together. That's a powerful voice. How about another time we see the voice of God in John 11, when Jesus stands outside the tomb of Lazarus and speaks life to a dead body, right? Lazarus, come forth. How about John 10, 27, that we talked about a few weeks ago, where uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How about John 5, when, again, one of my favorite passages, it says, truly, truly, Christ said, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So, based on all those texts, the voice that created all things, the voice that sustains the universe, that gives life to dead men physically back then and spiritually now, the voice that will one day call bodies from the grave for judgment through that same voice. And by the way, the way he speaks to us now is through the voice of the word, right? Through this word. Through that voice and through the word, our fears can be removed and we can have a holy confidence in God in every crisis we face through the word of his power the power of his word. The fourth one is the word victory. Look at verse 9. It says, God makes wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. So in verse 9, we see God's victory. We see God defeating his enemies. So here's my question, church. When does God defeat his enemies? Think about that. When does God defeat his enemies? And here's my answer. Whenever he gets ready to, right? When does God defeat his enemies? Whenever he gets ready to. When does God help us overcome our crisis? The answer is the same. Whenever he gets ready to. He is sovereign. So we trust that the God who has victory over his enemies and over our crises, we trust that this God will lead us. And so then we go back and look at verse 2. Because he's our refuge, because he's our strength, because he gives us power through his word, and because we know he has the ultimate victory, because of those things, therefore we will not fear. We do not have to be afraid of things we go through in life because our God is in control. And then he gives us these two things about, about nature raging in verses 2 and 3. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved, moved to the heart of the sea. In other words, though the worst thing could happen, the earth falling apart here. Though the worst thing could happen, God is still in control. So whatever cri- crisis you might be in or might go through, we, we understand that the all-powerful God of the universe, the God of Psalm 46, can and will lead us through that crisis in his timing. 
Is God strong enough? Is God strong enough to get us through our crisis? Every time. The second one. The second truth is that he is present. He is strong and he is present. Again in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is not far from his people. He is, he is near, right? He is near and he desires to, to help us. I'll give you another personal illustration. I don't know why I have so many of these today, I just do, but and I may have used this years ago, but when I was in, probably 18 years old or so, my dad and I went fishing at a place called Lake Edens, a uh, big private lake south of Meridian. And we went around this peninsula from where our, our, boat, our house was there, and we started fishing for a, a while and caught some fish, had a pretty good day, and is catching uh, crappie. And, and so we noticed some storms kind of moving in, and, but we just kept fishing because we're catching fish, so let's just keep fishing. And so we waited a little bit too long, and so we, this, it started raining. Like, we better go, which we didn't have far to go, around the peninsula, right back over to our house. Not far to go. And so we're using my papa's old boat. Dad cranks it up. We ease around the peninsula. At this time, the storm's getting worse and worse. The wind's starting to blow. The rain's getting a little harder. I mean, dark, dark clouds in the sky. We come around the peninsula, headed straight for our boathouse, which is probably 100 yards, a little further than 100 yards probably away. You can see it there. And then the boat dies. And my dad's trying to fix it. He's been around boats his whole life. I'm like, I'm just about there going, that'll fix it, right? He always fixes everything. He'll fix it. Well, he didn't fix it. He was working on it, working on it, working on it. And guess what? The wind's blowing this way. (laughs) There's our house. We see it, and we're starting to drift backwards. I take one old paddle out and start trying to paddle. I'm not doing any good. And the thought actually went through my mind, we're about to have to jump out of this boat and swim to the shore. In this storm, there's, you know, the water's kind of rough. We're about to have to swim to shore. And I, mean, I, was, I remember being really scared, like actually scared. And about that time, through the thunder, through the rain, through the storm, out of nowhere, finally, out of nowhere, a boat comes riding up. And these two guys who happened to just be headed back to their house saw us and saw, saw that we were in trouble. And they stopped and threw us a rope, and they towed us in. And my dad and I, we still talk about that. Like, we, behind us was miles of lake. <laughs> There's no telling where we ended up if, uh, if they didn't stop. And I've used that before on this verse because those two guys in that boat, they were a very present help in our time of trouble. They were near, and they were willing to help us out of that trouble. Well, obviously, even more so, our God is near us. As a matter of fact, in verse 7 and again in verse 11, we see a refrain, the Lord of hosts is with us. So our God is near and a very present help for us. Look at verse 4 and 5. These are some interesting verses here. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Now, a couple of things about this. First, if you were in a city that's being under siege, a river would be a productive thing to have. It would be a life giver. It would be, it would be help. Um, 
But also, if you study kind of some Bible geography stuff, Jerusalem had no river running through it. And so, this, maybe this is poetic, prophetic, because in Re- Revelation 22, over in Revelation 22, we won't turn there, but the Bible speaks in the, of the new Jerusalem and of a river of life that will run through it. A life-giving river. And so I'm taking these verses and pointing back to God being present to say that the life-giving Christ, our God, our Savior, makes us glad and provides life for us. So he's present, just as God was present with his people there in, in the Psalms, he is present with us. Another point about this that I think is interesting is that we don't have to go to a particular place to worship God, do we? All right, we, we think about that in scriptures. We look through some of the Old Testament stuff and other religions that travel to make pilgrimages. But God's favor is not on a particular physical place anymore. God's favor is on a particular person, which is Christ. And so we go to Him. And in Him, we have protection, strength, and help. Let me also apply that to us as a church. As we go to Christ for protection, strength, and help, and salvation, we've come together as a church. And so the church is a critical place for us to have help in our time of need, in our time of trouble, in our time of crisis. So be an active part of the church. It's for the glory of God, and it's for your own good. Think of verse 5. It says, God is in the midst of her, in the midst of his city, in the midst of his people. Then it says this, she shall not be moved. Though the mountains be moved, in verse 2, though the kingdoms be moved, in verse 6, the people of God shall not be moved. The people of God shall be protected. Then look with me at verse at the end of verse 5. God shall help her and that right early. That's an interesting way that, to be interpreted there. That right early, another way to interpret that would be in the morning or when the morning dawns. And in my study earlier in this week, I just kind of skipped over that phrase, to be honest with you. I didn't really t- put much stock in that phrase. Yesterday I was reading some notes on that phrase that right early or the morning dawns. And one writer um, pointed back to Exodus 14. And he said, you remember when uh, Pharaoh let Moses and the people of Israel go and they left Egypt and they made it to the Red Sea and then Pharaoh said, uh-oh, I need those slaves to work. And so Pharaoh sent 600 choice chariots and all the other chariots to go get the Israelites. And you know the story, right? Moses raised the staff, God did the work, Red Sea was parted, Moses goes through, and over in Exodus 14, it says that the Lord, I'm paraphrasing it, the Lord worked when the morning dawned. And this writer pointed to the, to the, uh, the kind of parallel there, that in the morning, God worked in Exodus 14, in the morning, God worked here in Psalm 46. And here's the, the application from that. For every crisis we face, even the most dark crisis, God has a dawn prepared, right? In one way or another, 
no matter what we face, no matter what night we go through, there is a morning for us. This doesn't mean that um, God's going to keep us from crisis, but it means He will be with us through our crisis and lead us through it. And that, by the way, by the, that, is the, that is the comfort that we see in verse 7 and 11, that when we do go through it, He is with us. Let me give you the final point. He is strong. He is... What's the second one? He is present. Sorry. And He is exalted. Verse 8 and 9. Before I read this, I want you to think in context of the Scripture. Do you think 8 and 9 are speaking to the heathen nations... Or do you think eight and nine are speaking to God's people? They say this. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Who do you think the scripture is talking to here? Some, some writers, some commentators believe that this is speaking to the raging nations. And it's a warning to them to say, you nations who rage against God's people, you need to know that their God, the people you're against, their God, you need to come see his works because he can destroy everything. He can make wars to end. And so you better take it as a warning, enemy of God, to see what God can do so that you don't, fall into that same fate. That actually has some logic to it. Other people, and I think most people, believe this is a message straight to the people of God. The people who are in that city, the people who are worried about those raging enemies, who are in the city, in the refuge, in the shelter, but still worried, still fearful that the enemies are going to come in, a message to them to say, hey, you, you fearful one. Verse 8, behold the works of the Lord. See that your God can make wars to end. See that your God can, and again he uses this, this language here, um, break the bow, cut the spear, burn the chariots. See that your God can bring about the victory. And the word for us this morning is this. See what God has brought you through. See what God has done. Hear what God has done in the lives of people you know and other believers and let that strengthen your confidence in Him. Then he says in verse 10, by the way, notice here the change of voice in verse 10. Who's speaking in verse 10? Be still and know that I am God. So verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. Now verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Again, some say, you enemies of God, you better, you better put down your weapons. You better be still. You better, recognize, you better recognize, as the saying goes, recognize who you're messing with and back off of God's people. Or as I would say, a better interpretation of this is, you people of God who are afraid, who are fearful, whose lives are in disorder or disarray, 
be still and know your God is in control. Know He is God. I don't think primarily that this verse is meant for us to say, I'm going to live a, a life of contemplation. I'm just going to stop all I'm doing and just contemplate, or I'm, I'm going to just live a more still life. I, I think a better interpretation of this is, is the word surrender. When, when it says be still, it's lay down the things that we're holding on to that are distracting us from seeing that He is God. What are the things we're holding on to that are distracting us from seeing that? Be still. Lay down your arms. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your distractions. And see and recognize that He is God. What does he say in verse 10? I'll be exalted, I will be exalted among the heathen and in the earth. So how does verse 10 speak to crisis? Let me just give two things here, and these are not in the notes, but if you are an enemy of God, and none of us in here this morning would say, hey, I'm, I'm an enemy of God. But if you're listening to me this morning and you don't know Christ, right? Well, you know that. If you don't know Christ, you are opposing God. You are an enemy of God. Then be still. Lay down your your opposing thoughts of God. Behold the work of God, namely the cross. Behold the man of God, Christ. We sang in a mighty fortress earlier. Did we in our own strength confide Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. So if you don't know Christ this morning, if anyone doesn't know Christ, be still and know that he is God. Put down your arms, put down your weapons against him and trust him. If you are a child of God, I believe this verse is speaking directly to us, the people of God. Behold his works. Think about what he's done in your life, in my life. Think about the victories he's already given you. And realize this morning, you do not need to be afraid. We can have a holy confidence, a holy calmness because of Him. And when we do that, by the way, that allows us to be a great witness to those around us. And I can use illustrations of people in this room. You know, I'll use Nick just because I made, I looked at him a second ago, but Nick got a bad diagnosis, you know, a couple years ago, whenever it was, and from day one, He had a calm confidence. Was his confidence in the doctors? Not first and foremost. Was his confidence in his own strength? Not first and foremost. His confidence was in the Lord. 
And when he did that, that encouraged me. When he said things like that to me, that encouraged me. When we have a calm, holy confidence in God, that not only glorifies him and helps a part of our sanctification, but that, that is impacting people around us as well. Trusting God over and over again will ease your fears and elevate your confidence in Him. Trusting God over and over again will banish your fears and boost your confidence in Him. Trusting God over and over again will calm your fears and confirm your confidence in Him. Trusting God over and over again will relieve your fears and reinforce your confidence in Him. Trusting God over and over again, will decrease your fears, but it will increase your confidence in Him. And the only way we can trust Him over and over again is to see Him for who He truly is. Be still and know that He is God, and He is exalted. Let's pray.